Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the Save Your Realty podcast. My name is Max Keller, and we're glad you're on today. Our goal is to help you with your real estate goals. And today, we're doing an expert interview, and we are blessed to be with Maureen Kersey uh, today. Thank you so much, Maureen, for being with us. Welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me today. Awesome. Well, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, how you got into your current business and what you do for clients right now in, uh, in your city. Well, I am an attorney here in um, Texas. I'm located in Collinsville, Texas. Um, I currently work with a fee attorney for Independence Title. And um, I have been a licensed attorney now for 28 years dealing in real estate. I would say almost the whole, whole time of that, um, working with um, different creditors and um, resolving their matter, doing foreclosures and dealing with all kinds of title issues. And now helping to people close on, on their houses. Wow. So you've gotten to do all the fun stuff. Yes, I have. Well, I want to get all the, all the crazy stories because I bet you have a few, but we've got some questions that got sent in um, by our audience. Uh, you know, questions that are just, you know, legal matters can be really scary for a lot of people. And, you know, what we find is it's a lot of folks, you know, sometimes they just put, put things off until the last minute. Do you, do you see that in your business or your practice? Oh, yes. It's, Everybody puts everything off until to the last minute. And um, sometimes it's very important to, to get the problem into the title company um, early so that they can start resolving it so that um, you don't have to extend your contract or move your closing date because some things, it does take a little bit of time to resolve. Okay. All right. Well, let me ask you this. We've got, we've got five questions here. I don't know if we have time for all of them. We'll just see how they go. Cause I'm sure there's not a simple answer for each one, but um, at least a tidbit for the audience. So they know what's happening. Maureen, what happens to a house if somebody dies without a will? What are, what, what are the, what, what happens as far as getting that house, you know, sold by the heirs? Well, there are a couple of ways that you could go. It depends on if the heirs all agree, or it depends on if you can't find some of the heirs, or um, if they're fighting amongst themselves. So let's start out, well, if someone dies, the first thing we have to do is find who the heirs are. So um, if they have a child, we can go through that. If everyone's in agreement, then normally what we can do is an affidavit of heirship, which lists who all the heirs are, um, who all the children are. Um, if there's any of their children that are deceased, then we would have to get affidavits of heirship of the deceased person, um, of the deceased child. And then when we determine out who all the heirs are, then we would get conveyance documents from all of them. That's if everybody would be in agreement to selling the property. Um, if you have some that maybe that you can't find, or maybe you can, um, the person died and they were single, they weren't married, their parents are dead, nobody knows who the siblings are. Um, or maybe we just know one sibling and we don't know 
they don't know where their other siblings are, then you can do what's called a judicial determinant of heirship. Um, and an attorney ad litem will be appointed. And then you would get a judgment out of the probate court about who the heirs are. And then we can use that to, to do a closing because you would have a judge basically saying these are the heirs and those would be the people that the title company would rely on in which to convey the property. So if you have siblings and they're not in agreement, then you would have to go through a dependent administration or if, if they could agree enough to get an executor appointed, you can do an independent administration um, that is akin to kind of a dependent administration, but that's very costly. Wow. You would have to have an attorney represent them and everything would be dependent on getting an order out of the probate court. So, so if, all, if they all agree, it's, it's a good way to go. You can just do affidavits of airship. If they don't agree, you're going to have to go down to the probate court. Wow. So it sounds like what you're saying, because I am definitely not an attorney, is, is you want to get this planned out before something happens. Yes. You always want to do a will, especially if you have children that are not children of your marriage, because then what happens, um, husband and wife bought the house together. He has a, a son that hates the stepmother. Um, then basically what ends up is the, the stepmother and the son are owning the house together and you're not going to have an agreement there. When, when most likely the, the father would have wanted his wife to have the house that they're living in and that they, they were together in. But now she's going to own it half with her step, stepson. Wow. Okay, so everybody who's listening, uh, get a will, get it worked out. You want to call Maureen and find out, get this straightened out so that you don't have to go down this road because if there's no will, that's a problem. Maureen, what about if if a parent, we have, we have people in our audience, the parent gets sick. Uh, let's just say that they're, you know, they have grown children, the parents get sick, they go to the hospital and the grown children are now in charge of the house and they don't, they don't, the parents aren't going to need the house anymore. What are the options if a parent gets sick that somebody can step in and, and help them? Well, hopefully before they are um, uh, certified as incompetent, that they, they can't make the decisions for themselves, that you've obtained a power of attorney. Mm. Uh, recommend that you get two powers of attorney. One is called a statutory durable power of attorney. And that deals with your finances so that um, if, if they get sick and they can't handle their own finances, they're determined to be incompetent, that someone can take over, take over their bank account, take over their, um, sell the property if needed, and just manage their, their money for them. The other power of attorney is a medical power of attorney, and that's so that someone can make medical decisions for them if they are unable to make medical decisions. But it's very important that you get these two documents before they become incompetent. All right. So what happens if you don't? What happens if you've got one living, uh, let's say your mom is living, she's older, 
And, you know, for whatever reason, I mean, just something happens and you don't have those documents. She's in the hospital. She can't make decisions and you have to, you know, figure out her finances and, and her house. What do you do in that situation? Well, if you, in a situation where you don't automatically have a power of attorney, you would have to go to court and be appointed as a guardian, which would oh. be very expensive. And in those situations, then you are under the control of the court. And before you do anything, before you sell the house, before um, you expend a large sum of her money, you have to get a court order in which to do that. So you definitely want to try to plan that beforehand and get the power of attorney so that you don't have to um, spend all of the resources that you need to be spending on her in order to be able to, to use her, her resources. Other than that, then if, if you don't want to get a guardian of, of her estate, there's, there's two different guardians. It's the guardian of the person and a guardian of the estate. The state is the finances. The person is basically for her health, safety, and, and her well-being more likely that a caretaker, then you need to get those powers of attorney in beforehand. Okay. You know, we, we hear a lot about, uh, we hear about trusts and then we hear about wills. Do you, is there a certain one that you recommend or is there a certain one that works better for different kinds of people? Well, a, a will is comes into play after your death. You always want to have a will, even if you make a trust. You want to have a will so that if there's a piece of property that you bought after you made your trust and you didn't think about putting it into the the trust until later, you have the will that that will take control of that. Okay. Um, a trust can be a family trust. When it, when it is a family trust such as that, and you convey it from from you individually into the family trust, it is not a violation of the due on sale clause of your deed of trust. So um, that part doesn't come into play. Um, a trust is a good one. It's a family trust, but it, it doesn't like protect you from any kind of liability. I know a lot of investors do land trust. This is this family trust is a totally different thing than a land than a land trust. Okay. Uh, the property is held in the name of the the trustee. So it would be Max Keller trustee of the Max Keller Family Trust. And then the trust will need to outline who the beneficiaries are. And you would have to um, place whatever property into the trust. So then if you had um, some stocks or something, you would need to, to do a transfer of the stocks to the trust so that the trust and the trustee are on title to whatever property that you want to put in there. So if you um, then bought another house and you didn't put it into the trust, you would need the will to come into play um, to take care of the, that upon the death. Okay. So will first get always got to have a will, no matter what trust second, and they work together and some, you know, and kind of in tandem with each other. Yeah. Hopefully that you can, can do enough planning where no one actually has to probate the will in the end, yeah. but you want that will as a safety net that these are your wishes and 
this is how your property goes. A lot of people do not want to probate a will at the end because probate process is a public record. Right. And a lot of people don't want everything that you own to be, to be shown in the public record. So, um, but so on all of your um, bank accounts and everything, you have the, the opportunity to um, put a beneficiary on there. You should always have a beneficiary on any of your accounts. Okay. Um, your will is there to, to take up all the slack in case you forgot to take care of something during your lifetime. Okay. Awesome. Wow. Well, that's great. Well, we've got, we've got two more questions here that got sent in by our audience. Um, this question is, can somebody sell their house if they're going through bankruptcy? And what does that look like? Yes, they can sell their house, but they got to get an order from the bankruptcy court. It should be a simple order. Um, their bankruptcy attorney can file it. It's called a motion to sell and you will get an order that says that you can sell the property. Um, that order is not effective for 14 days and after the judge signed it, unless the judge waives in that order the 14-day requirement. So if, you, if you're under a deadline, maybe you have a short sale going and um, you have a certain amount of time in which you have to close that um, sale, be sure and, and ask your um, bankruptcy attorney to, to waive that 14-day requirement. A okay. lot of them, they don't do that automatically. Okay. And does it matter what chapter you file? I know there's different types. Does, does all the different types pretty much, um, you know, your 7, 13, there might be even another one I don't know about. Do they all pretty much uh, move in the same, in the same way? Uh, most of the time, if it's a chapter seven, you're not going to do a motion to sell. You're just going to wait till you're discharged and then sell it because that process is not all that long. Um, most people do file a chapter 13, which is the wage earner. And in, in that situation, you would want to go ahead and do a motion to sell because that bankruptcy could be as long as five years because you're paying back your creditors. The other chapter is a chapter 11, and that's a business reorganization. And again, in that one, there would have to be a motion to sell. Okay. Well, we've got time for one more question, and then we want to make sure everybody knows how to get in touch with you. It, can somebody sell their house if there is an IRS tax lien or, or any other type of tax lien? And what, is that, what does that process look like? Well, we would have to get um, a discharge of the IRS tax lien in order to go through with that. Mm -hmm. uh, we can work with the IRS to get that a lot of times because your homestead is exempt property. Um, sometimes they will go ahead and discharge that lien because your property is exempt. If it is investment property, then most of the time you're going to have to pay off the IRS lien. It just depends on how the property is, is if it's your homestead or investment property. And then what if it's just a, you know, tax lien, you know, we have, you know, people in our audience, their, their parents want to sell their house or they passed away. There is a will cause they went to Maureen and got good planning. And, uh, but you know, there's just some back taxes or they deferred them. Is there any special thing they have to do to sell the house or is it pretty simple? Property taxes go with the property. So okay. um, when you sell it, um, the property taxes are going to be paid off. One thing, if you are buying a piece of property from someone who 
um, did have the deferred tax or an over 65 exemption, just know that there could be some rollback taxes on that right. as to the, the difference of, of when they died, especially if um, someone who had the 65 exemption died maybe four or five years ago and the exemption has continued. Well, as soon as the taxing authority gets that affidavit of airship or some something in there that, that shows to them that that person died four years ago, they okay. will go back and refigure that taxes. So your buyer needs to be aware that um, upon closing, the title company might not necessarily have picked up all that back taxes mm-hmm. that are going to be owed. So there might be some more taxes owed. Your seller should should be advised of that also. Okay. Well, um, as we're kind of closing out here, what recommendations do you have? Just legal recommendations, you know, having the experience and maybe the biggest ways that you see where people go wrong in their planning, you know, when we're talking about in relation to houses and real estate, what would you just recommend for somebody who's listening as maybe a first step to um, get in a better situation for, you know, an eventual, you know, something that could come up? So if, if you are the, the parent, you should go ahead and get your will and your power of attorneys done and you, you have that financial planning done so that if something happens to you, um, either unexpectedly or, or you're, you're just growing old, that you have it in place that someone can take care of your finances for you um, and get the house out of your name or um, sell it so that you can use those proceeds in order to, to help with whatever medical needs that you have. If you're, you're buying the house, we want to make sure that um, the person that you're buying it from does have a valid power of attorney if they're, they're doing it on a power of attorney and that you can prove that the person is incapacitated at the time because most of the time if you're doing a power of attorney for estate planning it doesn't come into effect until till that person is incapacitated so get your will will and trust in order if you're if you're in bankruptcy contact your bankruptcy attorney about doing your motion to sell and just be sure and talk to your title company and let them Know what documents and everything that you have up front so that you're not at closing and someone's coming in and there's a power of attorney there. Awesome. They need to know up close, up, up close and personal. Up close and personal. I like that. Maureen, what's a good way to, for people who, who need some help in this area? How can they stay in touch with you? How, what, what is your contact information? You can t- contact me via telephone. It, my number is 817. 817- or you can contact me via email. My email address is Maureen, M-A-U-R-E-E-N at arclawfirm.com. Okay, awesome. And we will definitely put those in the notes for people to call you because there's going to be a lot of questions. I know that. And I want to thank everybody for listening to the Save Your Realty podcast. If you like the show, subscribe. Uh, You can give us a positive review, share it with a friend. And until next time, we wish all of you good health, 
God's blessings. I would highly recommend uh, Maureen. I've known her for a number of years. She's a great attorney, has very high ethics, knows what she's doing. She's helped me with a lot of legal situations. I definitely recommend her. And Maureen, I want to thank you again for being on the show. We really appreciate it. 